Hello there, and welcome to our webinar today, um, looking at uh, fintech ecosystems um, in uh, Southeast, in uh, the Asia Pacific region. Uh, my name is Simon Hardy, uh, the uh, CEO and co-founder of Findexable, the, the home of the Global Fintech Index. And I'm joined today, I'm delighted today, by uh, three very eminent speakers from the region. Uh, we have Norbert Gerke uh, over in Tokyo from um, uh, from fintech, from Japan fintech. Uh, we have um, uh, Rebecca Schott Guppy from fintech Australia, and we also have James Brown over in Auckland at fintech New Zealand. So I'm going to give us uh, just a, a brief overview of the some of the indicators from the launch index that we that we we published at the end of last year. Just a quick snapshot of, of what fintech hubs look like across the Asia-Pacific uh, region. And then we're going to jump into, into a discussion. Um, on the right-hand side of the screen, you can uh, see that there's an option to, to ask questions. So by all means, keep the questions coming to us. Um, and also, there's a vote section. Um, if, you, if you click on the votes from audience button, there's a, there's a polling question in there. So that, that's live. Please go ahead and uh, vote. Uh, whenever you're comfortable and ready, and at some point we'll come back to that and look at look at the results. So, just a quick word about us. Um, we launched the Global FinTech Index in December last year. Um, the, the concept is really to kind of build out uh, a, a large real-time in indicator of FinTech companies worldwide. And we started with, uh, uh, with a ranking of fintech cities and, and countries, uh, which we published in, in December. Uh, we also work with a partner that, that looks um, at uh, startup hubs generally, and some of the things we're going to be talking about today is, is how, how fintech hubs compare with startup hubs, what some of the differences are, and, and, and what some of the, what, what the nuances are, and nuances are in, in terms of the challenges between building a, a fintech hub versus uh, versus building a startup center. Let me just move the slide forward. There we go. So that's today's panelists, and we'll, we'll be meeting them very shortly. Please ask questions throughout uh, the session. Um, some of the kind of key areas we want to talk, out, talk about are there on your screen. Um, most important, it's really it's really to get your to get your involvement wherever, wherever we can, and you know so. So please use this as your opportunity to ask, you know, our you know, really great speakers today, uh, you know, some of the questions that you'd like to know and some of that are pertinent to your your regional hub. And we know that we've joined by quite a broad uh, range of, um, of attendees from today's session. So you know, we're delighted to welcome um, welcome attendees from across Southeast Asia, but also Europe and the Americas. Uh, so yeah, please make please make use of the, the speakers that we've got on to, on, on today. Just a couple of final slides for me then before we jump into the conversation. Um, looking at your screen there, uh, you can see that um, you know, there's, a, there's a broad range of uh, Asian markets, countries that are in, uh, in, the, in the world's top 30 startup countries. Uh, and what we're going to talk about, obviously, is the fintech side of things. Um, and on the next screen there, you can see... Uh, what the fintech ranking looks like uh, for different markets, and if you look at the if you look at the um, uh, um, the sort of second the second column from from the right, you can see the the, the rankings that we published uh, at the end of last year. So you know, Asia is represented across the board when it comes to the top um, um, of fintech. Hubs and in terms of the sort of the, the, the score scoring, um, Singapore uh, in the ranking that we launched in December came out top at, at number at number four, so right at the right at the top. Um, and Sydney, Tokyo, Auckland, you know, also you know well within the upper upper reaches of um, uh, fintech hubs worldwide. I think that this, one of the elements that we want to talk about today is really, you know, this com this combination, this contrast between what you know, what is a startup nation, but also how do, how does being a fintech hub compare? Because if you look at this screen, you can see that there's quite a big difference um, in 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 the scores for different cities. So, as Singapore, for example. Um, 
it, it came in a very close. It, it, it scores very highly when it comes to its development as fintech center, uh, and quite a lot higher than its than its uh, position as a as a fintech hub. Um, uh, sorry, sorry, than its position as a startup center, and and I think that's really something that, that you know, to me seems you know, very interesting. And I think you know with the with the speakers that we've got today, um, it, it's going to be a, an interesting conversation. So uh, that's enough from me. But so let's let's now jump into the conversation. Um, I'd like to ask the panelists, you know, um, if you just sort of looking at those numbers that are on the screen, the first column versus the second column, you know, there are clearly um, uh, sort of differences in 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 how different cities compare when it comes to their position as a startup center versus their position as a fintech hub. Um, you know, I'd like to go, you know, um, around the, the room, as it were. Um, perhaps, James, could, could we start with you? You know, what, what, what for you are the essential ingredients to, to building a thriving fintech hub? And, 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 you know, do you, do you agree with what, you know, what the scoring seems to be saying, which is that fintech hubs do differ quite, quite markedly from a, from, from a more general, uh, startup ecosystem position? Yeah, um, thanks, Simon. Um, the, the numbers are interesting, I have to say. But certainly, if I look at New Zealand historically, uh, we are a nation of startup stroke SMEs across a broad spectrum of uh, sectors. FinTech, really, as most of us are aware, is still, still quite a new but emerging uh, concept. If you go back sort of four or five years ago in certain jurisdictions, um, fintech wasn't even really a thing. So when I look at the, the, the sort of the um, the ranking for us in terms of startup, although it's still quite different to a number of other jurisdictions, it doesn't surprise me that we score better in that area because if you look at some of the statistics coming out of the likes of Zero, 94% of the, the businesses in the company, that's the New Zealand, fall into what we would consider to be that SME space. Um, however, with the involvement of more collaboration and what you're talking about in terms of a hub nature, then we are starting to see more work being done very specifically in certain sectors. And clearly, here in New Zealand, fintech is definitely one of them um, at the top of the, uh, the top of the discussion points. Mm. Thank you very much, James. Um, Norbert, what, 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 what's your take on you know both the differences, but also you know what your what you know what what for you, um, you know, in Japan you know are the ingredients to being sort of successful positioning Japan as a centre for um, for you know fintech startup activity, but also you know for you know driving innovation and financial services. Right. Thanks. Thanks, Simon. Um, I, I take. Uh, Two different looks at, at the data here, basically. One is uh, the relative positioning within Asia, right? And I think uh, most people would agree that Singapore and Hong Kong are ahead of Tokyo in terms of the development of, of fintech hubs. I think many people would also say that uh, China, in particular in the coastal regions, is quite advanced when you, when you look at payments, for example. Um, Maybe that doesn't apply to the country as a whole just yet, but lots, lots going on there, of course. And so I think the relative positioning makes a lot of sense. Um, if anything, I'm a bit surprised that Tokyo still ranks so high in the fintech domain. Um, Japan traditionally feels stronger right, in manufacturing, innovation, um, engineering that happens there. I think we see lots of developments in IoT, in healthcare, etc. And the, the services sector is historically very inefficient. And before we actually get into the fintech development and innovation there, I think we still have to catch up in terms of digitalization. There's just too much paper still. And if, if you're not digitized, then fintech just becomes more more difficult. And I, I think uh, minus three relative on the fintech rating, um, gut feel would have been a, a bit lower even. So I'm but happy with that.
that people be able to please her. But uh, yes, it's, it's, it's a it's a it's a it's a marginal change, isn't it? So I think you know, yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting one. Uh, Re- Re- Rebecca, what's what would you agree with what's being said there? And, and what you know, tell us a little bit about um, fintech in Australia and uh, you know, you know how that how it's developing. What, what your what are your thoughts there? Well, fintech in Australia is. Um, quite progressive. We've obviously now got our third unicorn. So as a small little country, we're batting um, above our average. Um, mm. On the data that's presented um, there, I don't know if I necessarily agree. Um, two, three out of four of our unicorns are based in Melbourne. And mm. I think something like eight out of our 10 biggest fintechs are based there. In addition, right. um, Stripe, where Revolut have all go cardless, have all cars mm. up in Melbourne. But I think what is important about this and why Australia is such a good fintech hub is one, we've got four big institutional banks that make it mm. very similar to the UK um, market. So it makes it a perfect landing pad for fintechs to expand into APAC, um, mm. test your product in a small um, ecosystem which has good um, adoption rates. Yeah. We're now we're still number 19 according to EY's FinTech Adoption Index. Mm. So um, I think we're a perfect landing pad in the APAC market given our banking structure and having two banks based in Melbourne and two banks based in Sydney, it makes them pretty um, convenient and they're only an hour apart. So it's quite um, easy to get between the two. So as a country, it's a pretty good country to want to think Hmm. Very good. Thank you. Just a word that uh, the vote is live. So the votes are, you know, a couple of you have voted already. So please click on the uh, the audience vote uh, on the right of your screen and and, and uh, you know, take part in that, com- in that question. And uh, we'll bring that up a bit later on in the session. Um, I wonder, you know, if we could then look at, you know, mapping success. Um, how, how useful is it to kind of, um, you know, benchmark you know, your ecosystem with others? Um, and on the assumption that there is some value and some use in that, you know, what, what, what better data is needed to understand, you know, how individually you know, your, your particular market or region even um, is, is, you know, how successful it is at being and developing, you know, new companies and driving innovation in financial services? Um, perhaps we can go to um, go to the Japan first. You know, Norbert, you know, what's needed to understand you know, how financial services are developing? What kind of data should we, you know, do we need to get to sort of be able to gauge and, and measure success? Yeah, look at the initial votes coming in. So it's interesting to see that support from government and regulators uh, is, is featuring very strongly right now. And I think that Japan, the, the regulator, has made a very strong turnaround when it came out with crypto regulation in 2017. Uh, I spent most of my career in capital markets, and I've been probably through three or four inspections by the financial services agency. And um, that feels a bit like a wisdom tooth extraction, typically. So it's not the most pleasant experience. And, and then actually... Uh, seeing the regulators uh, coming coming out and actually taking some risk in um, trying to set a regulatory framework very very early um, mm. was quite amazing because you wouldn't have thought that something like this could happen even five years ago. Um, so um, and then so obviously it's, a, it's it's still the third largest economy in the world. So yeah. it's not necessarily competing for um, kind of the, the launching pad kind of title, although um, 20 years of, of steady prices or even deflation certainly has led to the uh, cost index, cost of living index, yeah. uh, becoming quite affordable in Japan. And so I came here 23 years ago and the prices today are pretty much the same if you compare this to uh, New York, Silicon Valley, um, mm. 
London, even yeah. Singapore and Hong Kong, I think living is relatively affordable. Uh, the people are highly skilled, well-educated. Uh, the salaries are uh, comparatively low. And so it, it actually, from, from that perspective, has many ingredients that it could, could make it successful. Um, I'll leave some of the other other aspects to my fellow panel members. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Rebecca, let's go to you. What's, what, you know, what's it going to take to be able to measure how, you know, how you're developing and how sort of success you're being relative to other markets? And how, how valuable, you know, is that valuable? Is that, is that something that would be, it would be a useful kind of uh, metric or measure? I think benchmarking is always important. I, but I think what is more important is looking to other markets and seeing what they're mm. doing well and seeing how you can replicate that. So yeah. in Australia at the moment, we're going through a Senate inquiry into fintech and regtech. And so yeah. particularly in relation to capital investment, um, regulatory sandboxes and data, within yeah. Fintech Australia particularly on our recommendations has looked to other markets and where we think they're doing a very good job on those aspects and presenting that back. Um, I think benchmarking is important to encourage government and regulators to put in an increase um, an increased yeah. effort into a sector. But I think yeah. more what is more important is actually looking to other markets and what we can learn from them. Very nice, yeah. I agree with that. Uh, James, any anything to add on that on that on that front? Yeah, not an awful lot. I mean, I think uh, both Rebecca and Norbert have said um, most of it, but I, I, I definitely agree. Um, having the data and, and understanding the sort of the data points then allows you to ascertain where you actually sit um, against your peers, taking into consideration obviously um, size of market and also you know and also actually the age of the market. So if you look at some of the statistics coming out there and the current slide is Singapore sitting at the top. If you go back four and a half years ago. Um, you know, fintech in Singapore was, was very new, um, but they've done a great job in doing what your poll is suggesting. Is, it's not necessarily um, just support. It's, it's the ability to actually have the government, the regulators and industry at the table having a single conversation. Um, and that was something that we did last year. So it's never in the history of New Zealand has all of the regulators ever been sat in a single room with a single theme? And the theme was, what does the future of financial services in New Zealand actually look like? Because, you know, we're all, we, we understand fintech and blockchain and AI and, and all this new technology. But what we have to bear in mind that um, some governments are actually still on the journey. Um, some parts of government aren't even on the journey. So there's an education piece to allow them to understand the possibilities of engaging with, looking into and understanding uh, what it might actually do for you, for society, economic yeah. growth, you know, and you can start to talk about digital and financial inclusion and, and, and a lot of different other things. Um, but it's definitely this, it's something that we are, we're promoting. And this year we will have uh, four quarterly meetings with the ministers and all the regulators to continue yeah. to sort of build on the opportunities because New Zealand, uh, many, many years ago, was geographically challenged um, yeah. and actually was the, was the first country in the world to actually develop the refrigerated ship launched out yeah. of Dunedin um, in the South Island. But now we're actually in a position where actually we're a globally connected community. Therefore, that doesn't actually, um, it doesn't actually uh, become a barrier for us. Um, so we've been doing work for all of the government agencies, and most recently, actually, we did one for the Treasury, and it was exactly to uh, Rebecca and Norbert's point. We we reviewed all, all of what we call or what we perceive to be the thriving fintech hubs in the world, and we yeah. paired ourselves off against. Um, and that was a really nice thing to do because what it's allowed us to have the conversation with government is that here's where we are right now. Here are some concerns. But ultimately, I suppose, here are some opportunities for us because, let's be honest, you know, we, we do rely and have done for many a year on agriculture and tourism to prop up our, uh, prop up our economy, um, whereas now what we're looking at is something that's very scalable, very low entry to barrier, 
And if you've got government regulation and industry support, then you can actually make it happen. Yeah. Well, so absolutely. Well, you know, again, please do keep the votes coming in because they are they are useful. And as you can see, the you know we on the the, the, the panel are responding to those and, and reacting to them. So please keep them coming in. Uh, Rebecca, you know, you very generously you know bring brought us very kind of well into our next uh, element of this conversation, which is around models and where does one look for where does one look for inspiration and and, and why? Um, you know, perhaps. Perhaps we could kick it off with you. Um, you know, where you know, for you know, for Sydney, for Australia in general, rather. You know, what is it that you're, you know, you're, what kind of inspiration are you looking for? And, and you know, can you name some names when it comes to other fintech hubs around the world? Do you think you know offer offer some sort of indicator of, of to, to, you know, what direction you might you might take in the future? Absolutely, but um, as a tragic Melbourneian, we have to refer to Australia more broadly, not just Sydney. Um, uh, first of all, like looking at Singapore and some of the things they're doing in relation to um, super funds and investing in um, tech and startups. Looking at Singapore and looking at how it's being a data body um, rather than multiple regulators looking after data as we have in Australia. Um, mm. We think the UK does a very good job in relation to um, investment and early stage investment and getting VC capital into the market. Mm. We're also looking at London and obviously the UK, and this will lead into something I know James wants to talk about, but for us, the <laughs> consumer data right, which is our version of open banking, is mm. kicking off at the moment and just passed Parliament. So... London and the UK with their open banking regime is something we've looked at and the successes and the failures. So, for example, consumer adoption, how it's been rolled out, the right access, all these kinds of things are things that we looked at. And another key theme that we looked at overseas, and I think Singapore and the UK have both increased their investment and New Zealand, is R&D tax. So I think for us, they're out some of our key things. I think some of those markets are doing a very good job with them. Thank you. Excellent. Norbert, I mean, you, you know, by your own admission, you know, you, you said that um, you know, fintech in Tokyo and also the service sector, you know, at large, I think you, I think you said, is at a sort of an, an earlier, it's an earlier, more formative phase, and that you know, bureaucracy and red tape is, you know, makes that a problem. Um, you know, given where where you're at um, with fintech in Japan, therefore. Um, you know, what are some of the things you'd like to do? And again, you know, what models are you looking to? Are you kind of broadly in line with what Rebecca was just talking about there? Um, absolutely in line. I think we're, we're all great fans of, of Singapore. Right? I think it makes a difference if you run the country as a business, basically. And there's, there's not many examples of that around the, the world. So that's a very commercial approach. And, um, Compared to London, we're in, a, in the same lucky position to have only one regulator, which I think is a great advantage, especially if you look at kind of the, the different responsibilities in the U.S. and regulators basically fighting over different aspects of this emerging emerging economy. So I don't want to repeat all of that, so no. I'll take a bit of an, of an edge view here and say that uh, basically there's there's two models, right, of developing an ecosystem. One is the developed country model where you have already structures in place and which might make it more difficult to do innovative things because there's always an aspect of protecting the incumbents maybe. And there's kind of the developing country world where these infrastructures don't exist yet. And from a Japan perspective, Cambodia is super interesting. They just rolled out uh, a central bank digital currency. And that's built, it's a system built by Soramitsu, that's a Japanese company, it's part of the Hyperledger Consortium. And mm. it, it also helps uh, financial inclusion because everybody who goes onto the payment app uh, immediately gets an account opened with, with one of the banks. So while it's sponsored by the National Bank of, of Cambodia, it actually drives the whole financial services ecosystem forward. And I think much of the innovation in the fintech space might actually come out of 
kind of these countries rather than the, the much developed ones. Yes, okay. Uh, thank you, Norbert. Um, please do keep your questions coming in. We haven't had any, any from you yet, so you know, use the opportunity, use the bar on the right-hand side to, to, po to pose uh, questions whenever you want. Um, you know, now's your opportunity. Um, James, let, let's, let's turn to you. I mean, you know, you know, we don't necessarily need to cover the same ground in terms of the models, but I mean, do, do feel free to comment on that. I mean, clearly, you know, you're an admirer of open banking, or at least, you know, the, the kind of regulatory sort of dimension in terms of inspiration is important to you. you know, uh, you know, again, what you know, what are the what are the plans for fintech New Zealand in, in terms of, you know, you know, making that kind of regulatory alignment stronger and better? Yeah, I mean, I, I won't go over what uh, both Rebecca and Norbert have said. I mean, you know, people are generally going to pick out Singapore in the UK, um, yeah. possibly New York now being the sort of number one um, overtaking Silicon Valley most recently. Um, I also quite like actually what Hong Kong are doing. Um, arguably, you could say that they're a little bit behind the eight ball with their, their, their counterpart in Singapore, but they've got a very clear focus now, actually, of what they actually want to do going into the future. You know, large amounts of investment in Singapore and, you know, Greater Bay Area, um, which is which is going to be, I think, really good for them now that all the troubles died down. But in terms of what I suppose we're looking at, we, everybody's obviously, you know, sat and in view the UK, you know, having gone through the regulatory framework into the open banking model, and you only have to visit the UK to understand it's really not working as effectively as most people would like you to believe. Um, Australia, obviously, Rebecca will, will go live a little bit later in the year. Where we sit um, is an interesting one because historically New Zealand government would actually look to the UK, then they'd look to Australia, then they'd make a decision and generally just follow suit. So, you know, I've been sitting down with the PM and the ministers basically say, I think that we're a much smaller market. Therefore, actually, we could probably do things a little bit more agile. And yeah. I think that for us, at least, um, we want industry-led with government support. Um, and I think that where we are right now, that's, that's the theme that we're going at. And one of the pieces of feedback that we got from the minister at that regulation lunch is that that's the piece of work that they want us to continue on. So we set up a, a, sort of a working group. Uh, for want of a better phrase, uh, called open ecosystem because we felt open banking it's just too narrow. Um, yeah. Yes, it might be a good it might be a good test case, but the simple fact is that we've got to move to a point where actually it's data sharing across multiple parts of everyone's or the consumer's life. Um, and how do you build in the usual suspects, liability, um, privacy, you know, all in, in the layers within that. So that's where that's where we're taking it. Um, we're we're probably progressing quicker than what we had anticipated, um, and certainly I think that you know by the sort of middle part of this year we've got um, we've got something to to sort of you know go out to the market with. Um, interestingly enough, uh, from our point of view, um, back to Rebecca's point, it's not um, it's not the fintech, it's not the regulator, it's not even government pushing this. It's actually the banks. Um, mm -hmm. which is a slight change from, from the UK. The banks are actually dragging their feet and even some of them are you know, still considering how do they actually look for uh, exemptions or, or, or delays. Uh, whereas actually we've got uh, six of the top, uh, sorry, between the top tier one and tier two banks, uh, six of them here in New Zealand that have actually physically invested into actually moving this forward. So we're actually mm -hmm. quite excited that we're, we're actually um, taking a slightly different tact um, in the, the hope that obviously we'll have a, a, a good outcome. Thank you very much. Um, let's just move a little bit. You know, James, you mentioned um, uh, zero, uh, you know, right at the beginning of the, the conversation, uh, and I wonder, you know, if you look again, you know, this sort of connection or this perhaps disconnection between startup, a startup centre, and a fintech hub. Um, how important to you is, you know, a, kind of a, a national, you know, a, a champion, a unicorn, you know, a large-scale fintech success or, or other startup success? How important is that to kind of, um, kind of, you know, getting, you know, not just regulation but also, you know, in, investors and other entrepreneurs that sort of coalesce and, and drive the kind of drive the ecosystem forward? Yeah. It's, it's a great, it's a great point, um, and I, I think it is very important, especially because we're a very small market. Um, yeah. You know, Rebecca mentioned at the start there. You know, you've got three unicorns. I mean, I, 
Uh, we, we don't tend to talk about unicorns in New Zealand, I must admit, anymore, because the simple fact is that we're not going to, you know, in theory, we're probably not going to produce a, a, a multiple uh, portfolio of them. But having the likes of Zero, where they've been able to actually take a, a small product onto a global stage and perform very effectively. Um, and they're not the only one. I mean, that's, that's the other thing that we've got to be in mind. We've got a number of um, very, uh, you know, highly successful organizations that have been able to take their products uh, to the global stage. But as, um, as Rod Drury was back in the day at the helm, he was very good at spearheading and sharing uh, the opportunities within New Zealand. And that's, I think, what we need to do more effectively across um, a broader spectrum of organisations. Um, yeah. We've done it as a country very well. Uh, if we look yeah. at our agriculture, um, ag tech sector, um, you only have to look into what they are doing in, in the US right now. And I mean, and they are doing some phenomenally good stuff. Uh, and the, and the, you know, the UK government's um, also got behind them through the sort of the, the post-Brexit discussions, bearing in mind what's going on with the Welsh farming community as well. Um, so I think it's, it's about how you, how you position it, um, but also how you use some of the other pieces of the jigsaw. So New Zealand, you know, we're, we're very fortunate. We still are the number one ease of doing business in the world. Uh, we're still joint second on the Corruption Perception Index. Um, we've been lucky, you know, we had the Royal Commission in Australia, which obviously uncovered some things. We had the RBNZ uh, and the FME, which is our local uh, regulator here, do an investigation into the financial services. And they've also uncovered some things that they would like to see amended, but it was more of a process rather than wrongdoing. So it's a, for me, it's about the positioning piece and how we share the story that then allows people to think, actually, maybe New Zealand's uh, an area of interest. And certainly when we were back in the UK in September, wealthy individuals and wealthy families post-Brexit are looking for um, other markets that they haven't tapped into yet to explore, to diversify their portfolios. So that, that becomes quite exciting. Okay, thank you very much for that, James. No, but this time to you. I mean, you know, Japan in you know in terms of the, the three panels, is a bit of an outlier here. I mean, it's an enormous economy and it has a lot of national champions in pretty much you know, every sector one can think of. Um, uh, so, you know, what you know for, for the fintech marketplace in you know in Japan, you know, how how important is a is a sort of startup success going to be in terms of helping? Um, energize, uh, galvanize the, the, the fintech ecosystem to kind of create new products, or is it is it really just much more about you know getting the regulations right and making you know lowering some of the barriers to entry? Yeah, I mean I think it's, it's very interesting that many of the national champions that you described have, um, and I would say, quite successful innovation hubs and innovation centers, but very often they're not necessarily in Japan. Um, they are in Singapore and in Israel and in, in the verticals in the United States, for example. And so the innovation happens outside the country and it also allows you to fail kind of outside the country, uh, which is just the nature of doing a startup and then and import it back. But that's not to say that Japan isn't innovative. I think quite to the contrary. And two good examples are the QR code, right? That was invented, uh, in, in the Toyota supply chain in 1994. Um, unfortunately, they didn't, they never really monetized this and we, we imported back from China now for payments. And actually on, on Japanese mobile phones in 2006, you were able to, uh, execute payments. So you could use your mobile phone and go to the subway and, and pay. Uh, with the technology. And it was one year before the iPhone came out. And obviously the first version of the iPhone wasn't what it is today. And so I think the challenge for, for many of these technology innovations and inventions from a Japanese perspective is more to make it successful outside of Japan. And when you look at many of the startup pitches that entrepreneurs here make, then uh, they often already have an, an exit plan when they do the first fundraising and say, like, this is how we're going to exit it. Well, like in America, you would say, here's how in three years we become a world-beating company. Right? And it's, yeah. a, it's a fundamentally different approach and, and shaking this up a bit and 
maybe making it more ambitious and crazily ambitious from a, from a Japanese perspective to actually uh, succeed outside of the country and, and build really a unicorn that's a global unicorn, that will be a turning point. Yes. Okay. Well, we we uh, we hope for that, of course. Uh, Rebecca, what, what, what's your take on this? I mean, you know, you know, is 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 getting a kind of startup champion or a series of unicorns? Is that is that what's really helping to kind of energise the marketplace? Do you see that kind of continued expansion in Australia because of the success you've had so far? Um, I don't think getting more unicorns um, will make the market more successful. I think what's really going to drive um, market success in Australia is consumer awareness. So making sure consumers are aware of the products in market, whether that is the buy now and pay latest, which some are unicorns, whether that is um, ability to transfer money overseas with lower FX pricing or its ability to switch banks thanks to open banking. I think general consumer awareness will drive growth of Australian fintech. In addition, I think um, Australian fintech seeing the export capability and the options in overseas markets will drive growth. We're, we're only big enough. Australia's market's not big enough unless they, for most instances, expand overseas. So we're going to continue to need to see overseas companies receive unicorn status to motivate Australian companies. Great. Thank you very much. Well, that does bring us sort of nicely to the, you know, round nicely to the kind of what's the kind of final dimension of this conversation before we close for today, uh, which is that kind of the international dimension here. I mean, how important, how valuable is it for, you know, much greater connectivity, collaboration, and sort of knowledge sharing between different fintech hubs? Uh, you know, Rebecca, do you want to sort of start on that? And, you know, what yeah, do you see as the I think the biggest opportunity in this market is helping we all run member organisations and I think um, there's two ways this is really important. One way is to help our members grow. Connecting them into the right hub or the right regulator overseas is very important for their growth. And then another reason it's very important is that learning aspect. So when you have conversations with other regions and other markets, um, you often get a few takeaways you can bring back and implement in your own market. So I think the, the reason that the collaboration is important is ultimately how does it benefit our members and how does it help them grow or get more customers. Right. Thank you very much. Uh, Norbert, and then James, perhaps do you, want, do you want to add anything to what Rebecca's saying there? Yeah, so I think Rebecca used the term replicate earlier in the conversation. That's kind of how we refer to it, right? Ideas travel so tremendously fast in, in these times that you can't, if you just wait to kind of attack other markets, then somebody else will just have copied your idea. We call them replicants. And yeah. like it happened with, with Uber in Southeast Asia, so where, where Grab came in and, and Gojek and, and China as well. Um, so I think we need the connectivity and it can take two forms. It can really take the, the copying and kind of replicating the business model or it can uh, ideally, and that's where we, we like the collaborations that we have also with FinTech Australia and FinTech New Zealand. There was a question out there. Are we open to more? We absolutely would love to build out our international community links as well. Because we have helped companies that come here, get exposure to the market, com connect with the right lawyers, regulators, etc. And I think the more we can do this in a bi-directional or, or multi-directional fashion, the stronger the whole ecosystem is globally, and that's ultimately what we're all aiming for. Thank you uh, very much, Norbert. Uh, James, any, anything to add on that point? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would also add, I mean, if you look at what the FCA in the UK uh, did last year when they, they launched the, the Global Financial Innovation Network, which was sort of the, the first attempt to have a, a global sandbox. Um, I think we've still only got maybe 14 or 15 uh, regulatory uh, bodies around the world signed up to that. So that gives us an indication that there's potentially more work to be done. But I think to Dobra and Rebecca's point, 
Um, the simple fact is that these fintech companies are, are thinking global day one. How do I launch into multiple markets simultaneously as opposed to, you know, back in the day, at least from a New Zealand perspective, it would have been Australia, possibly go left um, towards the US or possibly go right towards Asia. Um, now it's how, how do I land in, in 15 different jurisdictions literally at the same time? Uh, and you only do that if you've actually got collaboration. You only do that if you've got understanding of, of the local markets. And, and that's where you build that by, you know, working with other bodies, like from our point of view, you know, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise, um, MFAT, Department of International Trade. Rebecca works very closely with them as well. Um, and we've, we've picked about five or six that we are, we've built really strong relationships with based on the feedback from, from our membership. Um, and, and generally, actually, some, not all, are actually moving a little bit away from the U.S. Um, because it is a, it's a big market. There's a lot of opportunity up there, um, but it's yeah. also a very difficult market. And in a lot of, you know, a lot of law, state or federal, it, it's it's not it's not like breaking one country where you land in, you know, you land in the U.K. It's, it's quite easy to break into parts of Europe especially with what's going on in places like Paris and, and, and Germany. And the same in Asia, you, you land uh, or host yourself in Singapore or Hong Kong, they, they're not fighting against each other because they know at some point you're going to enter into their marketplace. So I think it's you know keeping the conversation going, um, understanding what our role is, and it's about being that sort of conduit for small and large organisations who want to, gain market insights into new international territories and understanding the players in the market that they might want to partner with um, to remove that sort of that friction from some of the old legacy systems that these big uh, incumbents actually tend to use. Lovely. Thank you very much for that, James. So uh, just, we're just going to yeah. wrap this up now. I mean, the, just the, the, the votes from the poll show that the support from government regulators is, you know, is definitely the priority when it comes to building a kind of you know, busy, uh, vibrant fintech marketplace. And perhaps we could just go around the room again, sort of a final view on, you know, what are the kind of the plan, the outlook, your, you know, individually for your, for your own hubs, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the coming year and, and, you know, and the outlook for the next couple of years. Uh, Rebecca, do you want to start? I think, um, I think in the Australian market, we're looking for the role forward to the rollout of CDR, the final yeah. and the final report of the Senate inquiry, um, which is due to be released in October. And from that, over the next few years, we'd like to see an increased R and D program to allow, to allow more fintech startups to get access. We would like yeah. to see an increased um, capital injection for early stage fintech to help them grow. We'd also like to see a shared KYC um, function, and we'd like to see the MPT um, roadmap fully rolled out in the next few years. So I think that's what we're looking forward to. A busy time ahead. Uh, Norbert, how about you? How about you in in, uh, in Japan? Well, we have the the Olympics here coming in this summer, and so the the country is trying very vigorously to make progress in cashless payment. And so until the end of June, there are actually rebates available by, by many uh, retailers. If you pay in a cashless fashion, you actually get a credit on your, on your statement at the end of the month. And um, there's lots of promotion uh, around this. So hopefully the next time we'll do a global cashless payment uh, survey Japan won't be the laggard anymore. Um, I think that will be a change. And it's been a nine-month promotion period, so it should hopefully be enough to be sustainable even when these incentives go away. Um, we will get um, security token regulation in April. So everybody is uh, looking forward to that. Um, timing seems a bit delayed, so we expect it to come out in April and it will take a few months until everybody has digested it. But that goes and uh, leads us down the path of, of really digitalizing any type of, of asset. And there's lots going on in the real estate space here preparing for that. And on the, on the open banking side, we do have regulation that is 
on par with what was happening in the UK and in Europe. Uh, the implementation has been lagging it because the, the regulator didn't want to get uh, prescriptive in terms of the commercial arrangements. And now the, the banks and the fintechs are fighting over who's actually going to pay for developing the APIs. While in, in Europe, I believe you have like a, uh, in the law that you can make five, five API calls per, per day per account or so. And so once we resolve this, I, I think it will just cause the banking system to, to become very open. Um, um, more competition is always good, whether it's from, from fintech companies or, or other incumbents. And so there is uh, the conglomerate called SBI, big uh, fintech investor as well. But the towers on the head is planning to create the fourth mega bank in Japan uh, alongside the existing three groups by rolling up regional banks. So it's a classic roll-up strategy. Um, I think this will be interesting to watch and see how this shakes up the market. It's the first time that you actually get the credible and capable new entrant at scale, and that might just you know, shake things up a bit and, and create new competition, which would be helpful. Fantastic. Very good. Well, you know, we wish you lots of success with the Olympics, of course, which, you know, back from London in 2012, um, you know, it certainly, you know, I can remember at the time that it certainly did a lot to kind of drive awareness of things like contactless, which, you know, still then was sort of relatively, relatively new and not, you know, were not widely adopted or accepted. Uh, James, what about you? Way over in, in Auckland, you know, what things that, you know, what things are you hoping for in, the, you know, in this new decade? And, and, you know, where do you see, uh, New Zealand going in terms of its sort of fintech journey? Yeah, um, I mean, for us, it's an exciting time because we're actually in an election year. So it gives us a great opportunity to actually have further and deeper engagement uh, with both obviously the sitting government and obviously the opposition. So we are in, um, we're in the process of putting a paper together uh, really to make some strong recommendations actually in, in where we see uh, the future actually going. One of the challenges that we uh, have generally in New Zealand is this um, this terminology that we we lack some funding, and to a certain extent that is actually true. A lot of our sort of fast growth companies end up going offshore um, to look for funding, uh, and that can be from a variety of sources. But when you consider that across what we'd call our three super funds, uh, there's about I think 220 billion dollars sitting in that. We only invest 9% of it here in New Zealand. So the challenge I've given to the, the, the finance minister is give me the 1%, change it to 10%, and, and I'll make the, the tech sector thrive in New Zealand. Um, so that's something that we'll be pushing for policy change to see whether that, that's actually possible. I think the other thing for me is really to progress the conversation around open banking uh, and we'll maintain that impetus really by getting all the regulators, industry, and government in the room to actually really understand what a solid framework looks like uh, from the involvement of open banking into into open data. Um, in terms of uh, alternative investments, uh, we're working quite hard actually with a, a global company around intangible assets, and we've been speaking to the banks about lending against intangible assets and moving away from you know let's their old um, cash flow asset based. Because the simple fact is we now live in a digital age, therefore we really think, should be thinking about um, digital lending. Um, and, and also then that leads me into digital literacy. So we've got to make sure that when we uh, do evolve and create these new products and solutions and alternative methods of payment, to Norbert's point, uh, we, make, we have to make sure we don't exclude anybody. Um, New Zealand is a small country, but it's quite remote in areas. So we just have to be mindful that um, everybody comes on that and we look at financial inclusion uh, in companies' terminology to see whether that is actually something that they consider. Um, and if it's not, then we, we obviously try and encourage that. We've got FATF down here doing an audit at the moment. Um, as already mentioned, I think around sort of the standardization of things like AML and KYC. It's just going to make everybody's life a lot easier. So we put a recommendation in uh, to them to actually look at how uh, easier or difficult that may actually be because the simple fact is it's just a question of actually getting all the parties to to um, to agree what the methodology is, and then we roll it out. Very similar to what Royal Bank of Scotland did 
back in the UK when uh, Ross McEwen, who's a Kiwi, um, had the idea that he wanted standardisation of interaction between uh, small fintechs and large incumbents, because as most people generally know, it's difficult as a small a small organisation. You you know you burn you're burning capital waiting on a response from a big bank, um, and it's not always their fault. I must admit, it's just the due process that they have to go through. But the simple fact is, he took it upon himself to lead a piece of work. Um, went to the British Standards Institute, got them to sign off on it, and then literally went to his nine other peers uh, and got them actually to accept it from a sector-wide perspective. So we've given it to one of the big banks here and said that I think you should lead that, um, which I think will be a really, really good outcome for us. And we'll just continue to build on some of that stuff that we've done before. We've supported uh, Transparency New Zealand and a piece of work that they've done, which is the, the production of the Financial Integrity Systems Assessment, uh, which is also endorsed by the RBNZ and the FMA, our local, re- local regulator. Uh, and that basically gives uh, the industry another piece uh, of tool, a, a toolkit in their armory to self-assess how well the industry is actually moving towards uh, more transparency because certainly in some of the instances we've seen in the last number of years across the globe, um, we definitely need some of that as well. So. And then we'll continue to do exactly what we've done uh, and what others do is, you know, go out, get into other markets, roll the sleeves up, get to meet people, understand the pros and the cons, and then be able to bring that information back to the members that are looking to expand into different jurisdictions. So um, quite a lot on the plate. Yes, indeed. Well, it's a busy time, particularly for, for all of us. Um, well, you know, thank you to our panellists today. Thank you to, to James, to Norbert, and to Rebecca, of course. Um, you know, I hope it's been useful. I mean, you know, they, James, in particular, you mentioned, you know, standardisation and sort of encouraging standards, you know, and I hope, you know, you know, these kinds of, these kinds of forums, you know, where you're, we're talking to different hubs from around the world to help us drive connectivity. Uh, you know, and, and sort of start to sort of set the template for sort of, you know more and, and deeper sort of sharing of information um, and, and expertise, and you know, and, and, a, and a way to sort of overcome some of, some of the challenges. So, thank you to um, to you, our audience today. Thank you to our panelists. Um, the materials are available uh, online. Um, you can download the attachment from the slides that we presented earlier. And you can, uh, you know, catch up and watch this webinar, listen to this webinar again, uh, which will stay hosted on the website. But uh, that's all from us. Thank you again to our panelists, and uh, come back, join us soon for our, our next uh, uh, regional webinar when we look at Europe in a couple of weeks. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Thanks everybody. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thank Thanks you for having us. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye bye.